0: Do you remember the name of Debbie Downer? Debbie Downer was a fictional character on Saturday Night Live. And she first made her appearance in 2004. And with that appearance, Debbie Downer as a character became so popular... That that name became an established slang phrase to to refer to someone who is a perpetually pessimistic person. The kind of person that adds bad news and negative feelings to any situation. Someone who brings down the mood of every person in the room. Well, let's be honest. We talk about this a lot right now. And in our day and time, it's really hard not to be a Debbie Downer. Inflation is at a 40-year high. Crime is on the increase. And there's very little appetite on the part of a lot of people to even prosecute that crime. Gasoline costs more than it ever has. And you can't find baby formula. And and we're predicting food shortages. I've never seen such a land of plenty running out of so many things. And you know what? You listen to the sound bites on the news, and it's like our elected politicians are living in fantasy land. Totally oblivious, totally clueless, totally unaware of the real problems and the real challenges that everyday people like you and me are having to face. Sometimes it's enough, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's enough to make me want to just fall down in the floor kicking and screaming and just throw an old fashioned temper tantrum. And you know what? it still wouldn't do any good. It wouldn't help. But it really doesn't seem like anything else we're doing helps, does it? We feel like nobody's listening to us. We feel like nobody cares. And so we feel frustrated. We feel overwhelmed. And we feel depressed. It actually makes me think of a story I read one time about a classroom in one of our major university medical schools, one of the foremost medical schools in the United States. And this was a classroom where there were students there who were training to specialize in the field of psychiatry. And so the professor in the classroom, in order to prove a point, he started a discussion. He said, we're going to talk about emotions And we're going to talk about emotional extremes, the kind of things that are extremes that many mentally disturbed people go through. And so he turned to a student, he said, what is the opposite of joy? And the student said, sadness. Very good answer. He turned to a young lady. He said, what is the opposite of depression? And she said, that would be elation. He said, great answer. And he turned to a young student in the class from Texas. He said, what is the opposite of woe? And the young boy said, I suppose the opposite of woe would be giddy up. We're going to see a little later on that that's what God tells a man to do. Here's the one thing that all of those questions had in common. All of those questions... Dealt with depression in one form or another. Depression is a very real part of life for a lot of people. And it can be a very real problem. And when we talk about depression, we're not talking about a passing moment of sadness... We're not talking about a time where you feel sad for a day or two and then you feel better about things. We're talking about a very serious malady. Something known as clinical depression. You see, in true depression, the symptoms can last weeks. Or months. And sometimes if treatment isn't sought out, those symptoms can last for years. And some of the symptoms of depression include not caring to get out of bed or get dressed. Forget about something such as working or running errands or socializing with people. That's totally out of the question. The symptoms can be feeling sad Or blue, crying spells, a loss of interest or pleasure in usual activities, a significant weight loss or a significant weight gain, an inability to sleep or excessive sleeping, agitation or irritability, fatigue, loss of energy, feelings of worthlessness or Excessive guilt, sometimes even coupled with thoughts of death or suicide. Clinical depression affects somewhere upwards of 19 to 20 million Americans annually. And it's con- estimated that it contributes to at least half of all suicides around 5 to 10% of women and 2 to 5% of men are going to experience at least one at least one major depressive episode during their adult life and it knows no race it knows no social barrier it knows no economic level it affects people of all ages people of all races And people of all incomes. And yet, surprisingly, it's three to five times more common in the elderly than in young people. And treatment may include supportive therapy. Things such as a change of lifestyle or behavior. Or it may include psychotherapy, complementary theories, and may possibly, though not necessarily... Include medication. Here's what we need to understand there's no shame in it. Some of God's greatest saints, some of God's choicest servants, have been afflicted by depression. If you go to Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 15, you might want to write that down. I'm not going to read it. But in Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 15, you find God's man Moses. Moses asking God to take his life because Moses is so burdened by the difficult situation he's in with the Israelite people. Or if you go to Psalm 31 verses 9-13, through here's what David has to say. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors. I am a dread to my friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten by them as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear the slander of many. There is terror on every side. They conspire against me and they plot. To take my life. Moses suffered from depression. David suffered from depression. And in our text this morning. In 1 Kings chapter 19. God gives us there a case study. In clinical depression. It's a study of Elijah. Elijah experienced some of the classic symptoms. He's routed the prophets of Baal. He's put them to death by the edge of the sword. But as 1 Kings 19 opens, Ahab the king told Jezebel all Elijah had done and how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do it to me And more, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. Now listen to it. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. Elijah hears what Jezebel wants to do to him, and he experiences fear. Fear. Elijah arose, it says, and ran for his life. And then you know what the next thing is? He starts having suicidal thoughts. Look at verse 4. Remember, he left his servant at Beersheba. And he went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life. For I am not any better than my fathers were. And you know what the next symptom he expressed was? Excessive tiredness. Look at verse 5. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree. And he said, And behold, an angel touched him. Look down at verse 10 because he felt feelings of rejection there. I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, throw down thy altars and slain the prophets with the sword and I, even I alone am left and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah's running for his life. He prays for God to just take his life. He wants to just go to sleep. And he's feeling rejected. And as you read this story in 1 Kings chapter 19, this was not something that lasted just a day or two for Elijah. This depression for Elijah, it lasted nearly two months. Now, the really bizarre thing about this is that just days before all of this, Elijah had preached probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, sermons of his life. Just a few days before all this happened, Elijah Has confronted the false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, 400 of them. And he exposed them for the charlatans, for the false prophets that they were. Because of Elijah's faith, and because of Elijah's prayer, and because of what Elijah did on Mount Carmel. Because of his faith and obedience. God literally sent fire down out of heaven to consume the sacrifice that had been placed on the altar there. And a few hours later, in answer to Elijah's prayer, God sent rain on a land that had not had rain for three and a half years. Now you think about that. Why would a man that had preached such an impressive message Why would a man that had experienced some of the most powerful displays of the power of God suddenly be crippled by fear and hopelessness and despair? Scripture doesn't tell us. There's probably all kinds of reasons, but we're not going to analyze that. What we're looking at is, here's the fact. Elijah was crippled and gripped by fear and hopelessness and despair. Are you listening? That tells us something. Even God's greatest and God's most dynamic servants can suffer from depression. And it is not a mark of a lack of faith. And is not the mark of an immoral lifestyle. The prophet Elijah was not just a man of God in his day and time. Elijah was the man of God in his day and time. And right now, Elijah is so far down in the depths of despair that even up looks wrong to him. But here's the beauty of the story. God did not leave him there. God didn't say, well, Elijah, I'm so sorry. You appear to have a chemical imbalance. And Prozac, and Zoloft, and Paxil, and none of those things have been invented yet, Elijah. So, sorry, buddy, I, I can't help you. Folks, that's long before psychiatry was ever thought of. That was long before... Healing could be bought in a bottle of pills. And it was long before we had clinics and psychiatrists and psychologists, long before all of those things, God healed His man of depression. And it was not an isolated instance. And what God did for Elijah, God can do for me. And He can do it for you. Notice what God did to heal Elijah. God recognized something. God recognized that Elijah's depression was real. It wasn't all in his head. It wasn't an imaginary problem. It was real and it was tangible and God knew that. It was so real and it was so tangible you could have cut it with a butcher knife. But nowhere in chapter 19 do you hear God say, Get hold of yourself, Elijah. God didn't tell him that. And God didn't say, Elijah, that's a sinful attitude. Where's your faith, man? He didn't say that to him. And God didn't say, well, Elijah, what you've got to do is just suck it up and pull up yourself by your bootstraps. He didn't say that either. God did not treat Elijah roughly. In verse 4, It is enough, O Lord. Take my life. I'm not better than my father's. And he lay and slept under a juniper tray. God let him sleep. Behold, then an angel touched him. And said, Arise and eat. In answer to Elijah's prayer to die, God let him sleep. And then God's angel comes and feeds him. And then, if you keep reading the story, he looked and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water ahead, and he ate. And drank. And he laid him down again. God let him sleep. God's angel came and fed him. And then God let him sleep some more. And then he arose and ate and drank. And went in the strength of that 40 days and 40 nights. God sent him down to the desert in the south for 40 days and nights. In all that time, what did God say to him? In all that time, God doesn't say a word. God doesn't offer him any advice. God doesn't offer him any counsel. He doesn't set Elijah down and say, Elijah, we got to talk. In all that time, Elijah's left alone and given time to rest and time to think. No sermons, no long counseling sessions, just two things. Love and rest. Now eventually God does deal with Elijah's depression. After those 40 days and 40 nights in the south, God sent him to church. What does it say? Forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mountain of God. God sent him to Mount Horeb. It's also known as Mount Sinai. It's the mountain of God. It's the place where the law was given to Moses. Church is one of the best places to deal with depression when we do it right. Because when we do church right, it's where we listen to each other. When we do church right, it's where we help each other. Remember what Paul said in Galatians 6 and verse 2? Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And we have to remember something. In just a few moments... We're going to sing an invitation song. We're going to sing a closing song. We're going to have a prayer. And at the close of that prayer, Dale's going to lead that prayer and Dale's going to say, Amen. Christianity doesn't stop when Amen is said. After Amen is said and we go... To our homes and we go to our offices and we go to our jobs, we must remember that throughout the week, time alone spent with God in prayer, time spent alone with God studying God's Word is a very powerful antidepressant. So the very first thing God did was He sent Elijah to church. You know what else He did? He said, Elijah, I want you to tell me what the problem is. Look at verse 13. There came a voice to Elijah and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now notice something in this text. If you read this whole story... God doesn't just ask Elijah that question one time. He asks Elijah the question twice. What doest thou here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Why are you here, Elijah? Well, didn't God know? Of course He did. He's the one that sent Elijah to the mountain of God. God wanted Elijah to vocalize to him what was wrong in his life. God wanted Elijah to tell him what he thought the problem was. God wanted Elijah to talk through his problem and vocalize what was wrong with his life. Well, we find out what it was. Elijah says, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. The children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant thrown down thine altars they've slain the prophets and I even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away Elijah felt like he was the only true prophet of God that was left so God dealt with those false beliefs those false ideas that were fueling his depression Remember, it was Jesus who said the truth shall set you free. Well, why is that? Because false ideas, false beliefs have put people in bondage. And our lives are built about what we think is true about life. And if the foundations of that reasoning are based on wrong information or wrong impressions, then the result can be devastating. That... Reply in verse 14 that I just read it tells us what Elijah got wrong Elijah didn't think God was doing anything I've been very jealous of the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel they've forsaken thy covenant they've thrown down thy altars they've slain the prophets and I, even I only I only am left and they seek my life to take it away There's an accusation hidden there if you read between the lines. Elijah's as much as saying, I've been beating my head against the wall serving you, Lord, and everything seems to just be falling apart and going to pieces around me, and what have you been doing about it, God? So God proceeds to correct Elijah's thinking. Look at verse 18. God said, Elijah, I have got... 7,000 in Israel, whose knees have not bowed to Baal. 7,000, he says. God basically says, Elijah, I haven't been sitting around doing nothing. Now look at verses 15 through 17. The Lord said to him, Go, return on the way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshai, shalt thou appoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that, of, that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. God says, don't worry about it, Elijah. I've got it all under control. Elijah, God says, I am doing something. Now that's a problem sometimes. When a person's suffering from depression, they don't think God's doing much of anything. And they have no hope, no confidence. And they don't easily see God. woman in depression needs to realize that just like God was doing with Elijah, God is working in our lives, God's working in your life, God's working in my life, even when we can't see Him. God sent Elijah to church. He got Elijah to tell him what was wrong, and he corrected some of Elijah's false thinking And he gave Elijah something to do. And so, even when all this is done, Elijah is still in a complaining mood. So, God says, Elijah, get back to work. I've got a job for you to do. Make yourself useful. He told Elijah to anoint Haziel king over Amram. Jehu king over Israel, and an anoint Elisha to succeed him as prophet. Perhaps the name Carl A. Menninger means something to you, or perhaps it doesn't. He was an American psychiatrist. The Menninger family was a family, a very famous family of psychiatrists. They founded a psychiatric foundation known as the Menninger Foundation and in Topeka, Kansas, they had the Menninger Clinic. And someone once asked Dr. Menninger, what would you advise a person to do if that person felt a nervous breakdown was coming on? Now, most people thought and would expect that he would say, well, you need to see a psychiatrist immediately. And that was not his answer. His reply was, Lock up your house. Go across the railroad tracks. Find someone in need and help them. To overcome discouragement, don't focus on yourself, get involved in the lives of other people. Psychiatrists, psychologists, and little pills. They can do wonderful things when we suffer from depression. Sometimes a combination of all of them is necessary. But for real permanent healing, it's hard to beat God. Just ask Elijah. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know whether Jesus is Lord and Master of your life or not, but I know this. If Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master of all of your life, He's not Lord and Master of all all in your life. Maybe you need to make changes. Maybe you need to do something different. If we can help you do something to make Jesus Lord and Master of your life, or if there's any need in your life, we can help you with This is your opportunity to come and let that be made known as together we stand and while we sing.